Welcome to the Life Fellowship Ministries International Broadcast. Our mission is to develop, maintain, and model personal intimacy with Jesus Christ. And now, join us for the Life Fellowship Experience. There's no repentance if we don't think we've done anything wrong. And I think a lot of things that we're seeing today, people don't realize that it's an error of the Word of God. And it's the church. We are to be the light of the world. Hey, wait a minute. Let me, let me show you what God's Word says. Or do we say, oh, well, you know, you can take prayer out of schools. I can still pray, so I'm not worried about that. You know, what is, what is our place? Are we leading, are we demonstrating to the world the love of Christ? Jesus said, they'll know that you are my disciples by the love that you have for one another. So we love one another, but do we care about people in the world? I've talked to people that, that believe the church is going to be raptured out before the tribulation. And, and sometimes I think that the people that take that position, they don't really care. They're like, hey, I'm just ready to get out of here. And the people that, that don't make it to heaven, the people that go to hell, well, you know, I, I'm out of here. It's all about me. But do we have a heart? Do we have a burden for the people in our lives? Do we understand that, that we need to repent as a church? When the, when the body of Christ and when the church openly embraces sin and and churches say well i know the word of god says this but it's okay to do this do you think god takes note when christians openly embrace sin do you think it impacts the church what is the church the church is made we are the church we are the body of christ and so when there's sin in the camp, do you think it impacts the camp? There have been people that have left Life Fellowship due to conviction of sin. People that were living together. And uh, we don't preach to people, per se. We don't preach to uh, situations, per se. Oh, there's somebody here that's, you know, so I'm going to preach on this today. No. We preach what God gives us to, to share, and then God does the work, and it falls as he desires. Because the word says it will not return void without accomplishing what he sent it to do. So it's, it's my responsibility to give you the word, to lead and feed, and then it's the work of the Holy Spirit to bring conviction or bring correction. The Lord is not looking to bring condemnation and we're not looking to do that either. But we're not, gonna, we're not going to compromise to satisfy the flesh. There have been people that have left here because they were living together. And, uh, we, you know, in conversation, we'd say, hey, you know, maybe you guys should get married. This is not right. I mean, we don't beat people up. We've had people that are in homosexual relationships come. The word is clear about that. We love them. We embrace them. But we don't embrace that lifestyle because the word doesn't embrace the lifestyle. Well, you're judging. No, we're not judging. The word has already set boundaries.
just coming into alignment with God's boundaries for that because it's good for all of us. I've seen that have come here and, and they refuse to yield to really allow God to work in their hearts and lives. Look, we're all at different levels, right? And so God is working in our hearts and lives. And where we get to, well, let me say it this way, to get to the place where God wants us to be, it requires us to yield to him because there's all, all of us have areas in our lives where God is working in our hearts and lives. And it's okay. <laughs> it's all right. But lo- God loves us too much to, to let us stay stuck in the junk and the muck and the mire. And when we hear the word of God, then we have a responsibility to yield and obey or not. And I'm not, please hear me, I'm not talking about performing. I'm talking about yielding to him and allowing God access into our hearts. Because when our hearts are changed, then our actions will change. Our lives will change. And how many people try to do it backwards? They try to make their life change. Oh, I'm going to I'm going to quit smoking cigarettes or I'm, I'm going to quit doing what, you know, whatever God has placed on their heart to do or to stop. But when our hearts are changed, then our lives begin to change. And so you see all the violence and wickedness and things that are going on in the world around us. And we try to put band-aids on all these things and we well if we do this if we put this policy if we what if we had a heart change what if we did something that would help people's heart because it's a heart issue and i told the city council a few weeks ago or well a few months ago when i met with them i said life fellowship is coming in to partner with the city, you have your role, we have our role. And our desire is to see people's lives changed, to see people's hearts changed. And when that happens, the community benefits. Crime goes down, all, you know, drug addictions, all these kinds of things. We come here to partner with the city, and we have a role, you have a role, and our role is to help people. And the benefit of that will hopefully be less police officers out on the streets having to make calls because people aren't doing crazy things. Their hearts are changed. But there's grace here in this house. There's grace here. She's sitting on the front row. (laughs) There's there's grace here in this house for people's messes because we all have them. God is full of love and grace. (laughs) Love is designed to help people, not to hurt people. If you see me going around with a needle in my arm, I'm hoping somebody cares enough to say, look, you need help. You need to stop that. Not, oh, well, you know... Everybody's got a right to do whatever they want to do, so if you want to go and destroy your life, well, that... How's that love? (laughs) Paul talks about the sinful nature. And he talks about that when we are trapped in sin, we are a slave to sin. I want to look at Romans 8, uh, 1 through 2. 
And Paul says, so now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation for those of us who belong to Christ Jesus. But why? Because we have gone to him and we've said, Lord God, I ask you to come into my heart, into my life. I ask you to forgive me for my sins. I receive you today. And so when God looks at us, he's looking at us through the blood of Christ. He's not seeing the things that we see. He's not, he doesn't have the same perspective necessarily that we have toward ourselves. Romans 8, 2. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit. The life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. And we know that James says that when we live in sin, when sin comes to fruition, it leads to death. There's a progression of lifestyles of sin, and it leads to death. But we don't have to live there. Because we've been set free, the life-giving Spirit has freed us from the power of sin that leads to death. It's a, prog it's a progressive thing that happens. And maybe you've seen this in your own life, where you, be you, you begin to compromise. And then the next time, it gets a little bit easier to compromise. And next, next thing you know, you're way over here. How did I end up over here? Well, it started back here. When I begin to compromise. Selah. Let's take a minute and just breathe this in. Just breathe in what I've just talked about for a couple of minutes. Because I think the Lord is highlighting things to us. That we need to take a minute and just say, okay, Lord. What are you saying to me? so far in this message and what do you have for me in the rest of this message so Solomon completes the temple he sacrifices all the cattle and all the sheep and goats and the Lord comes to him and he says uh, if you turn away from me there might be some things that will happen. There may be drought. There may be no rain. There may be crop destruction, grasshoppers and insects eating your crops. There may be plagues. But he doesn't leave them stranded there. He says, then do this. So we're, we're going to look at Second Chronicles 7.14. And I know that many of us have quoted the scripture on see you at the pole and prayer days and things like this, but I want to just take a couple of minutes and go through this. Second Chronicles 7.14, the first two words, then if. Okay, we know that anytime there's, it says, the word says if, it's conditional, right? Then if my people who are called by my name, are we called by his name? Okay, he was talking specifically to the, the children of Israel. But it doesn't mean that it's not relevant for us. He says, if the people who are called by my name, and if we, we say we're Christians, we say, hey, we're, we're a child of God. We're called by the name of God. We're his children. He, he says, there's, there's four things that he, he tells Solomon. 
the first thing is, he says, if the people who are called by my name will humble themselves. Does it take humility to repent? I think it does. I think it takes a certain amount of humility. We have to acknowledge. Remember, one of the points was we don't, we don't, uh, we don't know if it's sin. How did I say this? Uh, there's no repentance if we don't think we've done anything wrong. And so sometimes maybe, has the Holy Spirit ever spoken to you? You thought everything was fine. You, you, you had this conversation. And the Holy Spirit's like, you, you know, that wasn't very kind how you spoke to them. That didn't re really reflect my heart. And you're like, oh, wow, I didn't think about that. No wonder my wife is upset and won't speak to me for an hour. <laughs> because God will do those kinds of things because he's trying to work something out of us and he's trying to work himself into us. And sometimes we just don't realize what we've done, how maybe we've trampled on somebody's heart Potentially, un unintentionally, right? But it can happen. And he says, if my people who call by my name will humble themselves. Humility. Pride can stop us from repenting. Well, if I, if, if I confess anything to my brother, they're going to judge me or they're going to think less of me because they had me on this pedestal and I don't want to, to be taken down from that pedestal. Pride and ego, flesh. Remember our core values? We talk about our mission statement a lot. You remember what it is to develop, maintain, and model personal intimacy with Jesus Christ? And our vision is to become disciples who will impact the world with the love of Jesus Christ. Do you remember our core values? Love, prayer, obedience, humility, teachability, unity and service and so those core values support the mission and the vision because we have to have love well we don't have to have love but it helps and i've had you pray this prayer before where we say god help me to love others like you love them and you love me and god honors that prayer so love is vital but humility so let's read on. Then if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. Lord, I'm humbling myself. I'm coming before you. I'm acknowledging what I've done. And I'm praying. I'm asking you to help me. Whatever that looks like. Lord, help me to forgive that person. Help that person to forgive me. Help me, Lord. Lord, change my heart. Lord, change my perspective. Give me your perspective on this. Lord, help, help me to demonstrate your love. Help me in, in the way that I act and in my actions. Let's read on. Then if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray... Number three, and seek my face. Intentionally seeking the Lord, not just sending up a little popcorn prayer, but how, how often do we really spend time seeking Him, saying, just sitting before Him and saying, Lord, 
I'm not coming with my laundry list of things that I want you to do for me. I just want, I just want to spend time with you. I just want to seek your face. I want to hear from heaven. Lord, what's your burden? What's your heart? What do you want me to know? What do you want me to do? Because there's this relationship. Have you ever heard the phrase, well, I met with them face to face or something along that line? So we're not meeting with God face to face, but we're meeting with him in a way that he's revealing his heart to us. And if you think about it, maybe you have an important meeting and you say, well, I could text them, I could email them, I could even call them. But this is important enough that, that I go meet with them face to face, that I sit across the table from them, maybe that I have a meal together with them or whatever. And so are we intentional about seeking God's face? Having communion with Him, having relationship with Him. Then if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and, number four, and turn from their wicked ways. So are we intentional in turning away from sin and wickedness? We know what it is. And so we're making choices. Are we turning away from that? Do we run to that or do we run away from that? With God's help. Stop it. Let me get personal here. With God's help, you can stop it. With God's help, you can stop it. With your own help, you probably won't be able to stop it. He has placed you those of you that are here in a family that loves you. He's placed you in a family of people that care about you. They really care about you. He's placed you in a family that desires to help you. Our struggles. We all have challenges. And that's why the word says that we're not to forsake our, the assembling of ourselves together because of this relationship, because we need one another. We were not designed to be silos. We were designed to be in common unity. Remember last, last series, community. But, you know, here's, here's one of the problems that I've seen in the body of Christ. Some people really don't want help. They'll allow God access to a certain level in their life, and they're like, no, I'm done here, man. I'll just go to another church. Because they'll embrace the sinful lifestyle that I'm living. It's okay over there. There's no conviction of the Holy Spirit there because they're okay with it. That's not okay with God. If, you, if, if your child was harming themselves, would, would you be okay with that? <laughs> we are God's prized possession. So, 
God speaks to Solomon and he says, this is your response. Humble yourselves, pray, seek my face, turn from my wicked ways. But this is God's response. I will hear from heaven. Because I know that you're sincere. You're not just playing church. You're not playing Christian. You're not playing a game here. It's indicative that, that you're really wanting my help. You know, I've counseled with people. And uh, I've said, look, I'll, I'll counsel with you. But, you know, there's going to be some requirements here. There's going to be some expectations. I remember counseling with one person. And, and I actually had them sign a contract because I knew their propensity. And after the third time... They broke the contract, and I said, I'm done. Go get professional help somewhere, but I'm done. And they wrote me this long email. They said, well, you, there's a double standard, and blah, blah, blah. I said, you know what? You're right. There has been a double standard, and that ends right now because I've let you get by with things. I've let you say things to people in our family that I would never let somebody else say. You're right. It's done. Now Go. Go and get some help. You're not willing to yield. You're not willing to submit to this authority. Then you go and find some authority that you will submit to and get some help. Please, in Jesus' name, get some help. But that's what we have sometimes in counseling is people really don't want help. They want to cry and, you know, okay, well, all right, here, now get some help. There's, there are resources. If you need help, there are resources. And, and God says, I will hear from heaven. The, the Lord wants to guide us. The Lord wants to lead us. The, the Lord wants to help us. But He did not, intentionally, He did not make us robots. He's given us a free will. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins. So, let's, let's, let's look at this for a moment. This is written in the Old Testament, prior to Jesus dying for our sins and all that. But yet God had made provision through the priest and through the people offering sacrifices that they could come and receive forgiveness. But even thousands of years later, now that we have Christ who's come and died for our sins, rose on the third day, do, do we still need to go to the Lord and repent? <laughs> we do. So it's relevant for us to remember that we need to go to the throne of grace and present our petitions. Lord God, forgive me. And then we need to receive his forgiveness and go on. Have you ever tried driving forward and, and looking in the rearview mirror and trying to drive like that? Oh, there's a curb behind me. That's not going to work very well. And so how are we going to be able to, like Paul says, press on toward the mark or the goal or the prize if we're always stuck back here in the muck and the mire when, he, when, when Jesus says, I've forgiven you. Go on. Forgive yourself. 
Forgive that other person that hurt you. Move on. I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and restore their land. I will restore their land. Okay, so what has he told Solomon? He said there may be times when there will be famine or drought and the crops will be destroyed and plagues. So is he talking about restoring the dirt and the crops? Maybe. Or maybe he's, he's saying, I want to weed out the wickedness within the land. Maybe there's a spiritual implication here because before that he says, Come to me and pray, seek my face, and I will forgive your sins. That's a spiritual thing, right? And then he says, I will restore your land. That could be a physical thing, but it could be a spiritual thing too, right? Maybe God wants to restore a godly culture back here in America that has seemed to dissipate. Every Wednesday, we, unless it's raining, we come to the property and we pray. We pray for this country. We pray for healing in the land. We're not necessarily just praying for rain or that the cracks in the ground will subside. But we're praying that God's presence will be here and that God will move in a powerful way. God cares more about people than he cares about dirt. What is God's heart to restore the land? We're so blessed that we live in this nation that we have the freedoms that we have. We elect the people to run this country. You know, I don't talk politics from this platform, but who are we putting in office? Are they representing our values and the things that we think are important? Again, you know, it's, it's really much greater than what we may be seeing. Stop and ponder this for a moment. Do you think God may be trying to get our attention and wake the church up? Oh, take prayer out of schools. Abortion is okay. Where are the Christians standing up? And listen, let me say this there's a good chance that somebody in here or somebody's have had an abortion. There is grace for that. Okay? There's grace. But when we begin to compromise our lives, and when the church begins to embrace all kinds of ungodly things that the Scripture says is ungodly, do you think there's going to be consequences? What do you think is going to happen? Do you think God is just going to sit by? He told Solomon, if you begin to worship other gods and bow down to them, there are going to be consequences. When he's talking about restoring the land, and when we pray for the land, when we pray for our communities, we're not praying to restore the, the, the cornfields. We're praying for Jesus' revival to come, come down because he is the only one that can fix this mess. And listen, it's not just in America. It's a global thing that's going on. The enemy, okay, come on, you know John 10.10, 10, the enemy's come to still kill and destroy. Jesus said, I've come to give abundant life. 
not just to Americans. <laughs> so we're praying that the wickedness come to an end. But you know where it needs to begin? Hmm. Lord, purify my heart. Lord, purify my life. I love this country, but I'm more committed to the kingdom of God than this kingdom. So my first point this morning is repentance is the catalyst of restoration. My second point this morning is repentance neutralizes pride, ego, shame, and guilt. Um, let's look at Romans 3, 23 and 24. For everyone is sin. Say everyone. Everyone is sin. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. So all of us need to be redeemed. Be redeemed. And you know that we, because of the fall of Adam and Eve, sin entered into all of humanity. So we were born in sin. We were conceived in sin. But Jesus is the solution to our problem there. So verse 24 says, Yet God in His grace freely makes us right in His sight. He did, these, he did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. It's level at the cross, guys. You know, well, uh, I have more of an advantage because I have more money or because of my family name or because of where I grew up or where I live or the community that I live in. It's level at the cross. We all need him. We all start there. We all start with repentance. I remember... There's been very few things, uh, very few times that I've ever stolen anything. But I remember when I was younger. Uh, do, you, do you guys remember a long time ago they used to have those candy dispensers? They were called Brocks, B-R-A-C-T-H-S or something like that. It was like this big con uh, thing on a, on a big canister. And they had these different bins of different kind of candy. They had like the caramel with the white swirl in them. And I think they had like the cinnamon uh, little uh, mint things. And they had, uh, they had these, these, these block, these white block things with some red and green things stuck in there. I don't know what those red and green things were. I don't know. But the white was kind of like a sticky taffy kind of thing. And so one day we, I went to the store with my parents. And when we got in the car, I was eating one of those. And I asked my parents, hey, would you like a candy? They say thieves are not very brilliant. I get that. And they're like, Mark, where did you get this? I said, well, I got it in the store. You know, in my heart of hearts, I knew it was wrong. I knew it was wrong. But I just wanted to see if the boundaries were there, if they were really there. And I really wanted to get caught, I guess, apparently. <laughs> but I was glad that, that my parents said, solid boundaries. They marched my butt into that store and they said, okay. And I think they called the, the, the manager or maybe it was just a cashier. And, and I apologized and repented. Uh, I apologized. And it was a traumatic experience for me. You know, gosh. And, uh, but I'm so glad that my parents didn't change the bar. Well, you know, it was just a piece of candy. It's, it, no, 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 no. What does that set? That sets a, a precedence in, in, in our lives. Of Are we going to compromise? Well, it's just a little lie. It's, it's just 
a few dollars that I stole from the company. <laughs> well, if it's a few dollars, maybe you would steal a whole bunch. And my parents set solid boundaries because of their love and their protection. And they wanted to see me develop into a godly man. A thief does not represent a godly person. But I was, I'm glad that my heavenly father also set solid boundaries because of his love, his protection, the development that he wants to see me see in my life, see me grow to become a solid, uh, mature man of God. Only through Christ we are cleansed and forgiven of our sins, period. Only through Christ. There's no perfect performance required. We don't have to give God a tip. No other God can do this. There's only one way for salvation and forgiveness, and that's through Jesus. Last week, we discovered uh, that the Greek word for victory can be the same word used for salvation. Salvation is spiritual victory. So my first point is repentance is a catalyst of restoration. Lord God, I'm coming to you today to be restored back into this relationship with you. I'm asking you to forgive me for all my sins. My second point is repentance neutralizes pride, ego, shame, guilt. You know, shame and guilt uh, are horrible to deal with. And there can be an element of pride mixed into that because I feel the shame and the guilt and I don't want to, I don't want to share that with some, with anybody because then they're going to think of me differently. There are things that happen in our lives that we're innocent victims of, but God can help you. Your family can help you. Your family desires to help you. And closing out here, Paul. He's writing to the church in Galatia, modern-day Turkey is where that is. And he says, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. I've got more, but I guess I'm going to share that next week. My point is that repentance begins in our hearts. And if, if, we, if we really want to see the world changed, if we want to see our communities changed, it starts right here with us. As we repent, and we, have you, have you ever, like, there's really been something burdening you, and you repent, and you, you just get that freedom? You're like, ah, oh, I feel so good. I'm not dragging that junk around with me. That's where God wants us to live. And I'm not saying that we never mess up. And I'm not condoning sin or any of that. But I'm just saying this is, this is real life stuff. We all stumble and fall. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But God has restored us back to himself through Jesus. And then it's up to us to walk that thing out daily, maybe hourly, where we're saying, God, I need your help. So I say, let the Holy Spirit, let, allow, yield to, be willing 
to let the Holy Spirit lead us instead of our own flesh. Let the Holy Spirit guide your lives and you won't be doing what your sinful nature desires.